myself to be here. Again, so many of you from places, the hardest far away from I can know. But thank you really as we can tell you country when you get for peace. And I appreciate you coming, sister congregations, and I appreciate that uh, so much. Uh, those of you that are on the mailing list for your pass, if you're not, uh, write your number, name, and address down. You will write slowly. I don't read very fast. <laughs> Post office is notorious for throwing you away if your address is not perfect. And since this is not first class mail, they, they can just start it. Uh, but in that uh, paper, a uh, few months ago, I had a three-part series by Brother uh, <coughs> really Cotton. Brother Perry Cotton. And if you knew him on the new birth, and uh, I knew him, he died at 101 years old, a gospel preacher, and very, very faithful man. And I reprinted that in this little booklet for him here, and we're handing them out uh, for free. I printed 4,000 of them. What said? 3,000 in Africa for distribution there, the other thousand is quickly going away when that's passed out, and I'm gonna print some more. It's just a little project I've got going. I just thought so well of man in this first press teaching here of the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus in John chapter 3. You must be born again. The world does not have a clue what that means. They've got all the time. Uh, all the ideas about it, but that explains it in detail and even back in the So, if you'd like to skew on the back there, if you'd like to pick up uh, one or more, you want to get one for yourself and get out to some others. I've got some more in the car if I need to. Then uh, I would thank you for doing that. Also, I want to mention the song that we just sang, Our God is Alive. I love that song. A beautiful song uh, written by A.W. Dykes. Was a member of the church, gospel preacher. And uh, we can thank him for inventing the signal light on your car. And he did that way, way back in the day, and he ended up selling it. He didn't better off if he leased it out. He'd been very rich about it. But uh, he was a scientist, uh, number one scientist, and yet recognized by following the trend of modern scientists that uh, was. Uh, Gospel preacher and taught the truth, and that song speaks about the creation of God. A wonderful, wonderful song. And our subject tonight is about if Christ has not died. Have you ever thought of that? Have you ever wondered about that? We know, I'm assuming that audience, we're all familiar with the scriptures, and we've heard and read the scriptures about the Lord and Christ and in this world. And the born of a virgin, which was by prophecy, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, prophesied to be born of a virgin. And that was fulfilled when he was born and in Bethlehem of Judea. And grew up and lived a life, giving us an example that we might follow steps. Was rejected by men, crucified on the cross, buried in the tomb, raised again the third day. The Bible says in Romans 1, verse 4, for our Justification. That's why he did that. What if that had not happened? What if he did not do Where would we be? Where would I be? Where would you be? Well, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 tells us we would be dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead, 
dead means in the scripture separation. We think of death, we think of death physically, but there's a spiritual death. Death means separation. When our spirit leaves our human frame, our human body, our body dies. Separated from that part that may be alive that goes back to God again. But spiritually speaking, when we sin, our sin separates us from God. We talked about that quite extensively yesterday in our meeting. And about why, why is one lost? We get all kinds of answers for that. It's a very simple answer, one letter, only one word. Sin. Sin is why we are lost. A lot of sin comes short of the Lord God. We're not righteous, we're not one. So that's why when Paul and I were present at the church at Ephesus, he was reminding them that if we had not responded to the call of Christ, obeyed his gospel, we would be dead in our trespasses and sins. Over 1 Corinthians 15, verse 29, we read what Paul and I the bread of glory. We would be of all men most miserable. If Christ had not died. Even though he did die and was raised from the dead, victorious, there was no problem in that. There was no struggle. It didn't, it wasn't difficult to happen. He's God. He was raised from the dead. But we read in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12. The condition of the world outside of Christ. Even though he died and he died, he takes it up for every human being of all time, from Adam and Eve till the end. He did not die as a limited atonement, according to what the Calvinists would say. Hebrews 2 9, he takes it up death for every man. He died for every man. For Judas is scary. very man that betrayed. He died for Judas. But not everyone avails themselves of the benefits of his crucifixion, his death, and resurrection. That's referred to in the Bible as the gospel. So when Paul, a few verses after Ephesians 2, verse 1, drop down to verse 12, he's reminding the brethren there, as we can need to be reminded, that before we became Christians, before we learn the truth and obey the gospel, at that time we were without Christ. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, and without Christ, without God, he says we have no hope. Now let that say in No hope. Have you ever been in a situation Maybe an automobile accident, or maybe a dreaded terminal disease that you find yourself in a hospital with a loved one, perhaps even yourself. When the doctor announces, I'm sorry, there's no hope. Just the depth of despair that rushes through your mind to think this is the finality of this loved one. I experienced that once. Back in 2016, preaching at a gospel meeting in Mansfield, Wisconsin. 
My mother, many of you know, she traveled with me for 20 years. The place I went, she went. I love it. People ask me, I'm like, you can take your mother. I said, well, sure, my mother. It's my mother. And uh, she was ready to go. I was going anywhere, don't cost any extra. And she woke me up that Monday night in horrific pain, rushed her to the hospital. We were two minutes from the trauma center. Rushed her in there and no clue, no nothing, didn't know anything going on. And the trauma doctor, the head of the department, was the one that was there that night. They did all the examinations. And they come back and she told me, I'm sorry, there's no hope. There's no hope. They determined what she had. It was bleeding on the inside. They make a good exploratory. But she, she told me, whispered to me, she said, in my career, any time you've ever done that, I've never had to survive. You want to call your family, you can keep it coming. You need to Now think about that. No You stayed 10 days in the hospital, got well, and lived another six years after <laughs> But didn't know that at the time. No hope. Think of how it would be. That is on the physical side of our human frame. No hope. Well, that's either here and there. But the spirit, our soul, our soul lives when there's no hope. And all we have to look forward to is the eternity in that place burning with fire and brimstone, where there is worth that upon the fire is not burning. Can you imagine? No hope, lost, gone. No hope. That's what the Bible says, Paul would say, to those who have never obeyed the gospel. They've either never heard of the gospel, they don't know God, or they do know God, they don't know faith, they don't live for it. There is no hope. Zero. It won't be an accident that somebody will just kind of skin down the, well, they say the skin of the teeth. There's no hope. You have to be in Christ. So you're Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If you may be in Christ, he is a new creature. All the things have passed away before all things become new. So we're talking about that hope. What if Christ had not died? No wonder we read him when Paul died in Romans 1 verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God in salvation. What is The gospel is. The gospel is the power of God in salvation. Take the gospel away, God can't save. For whatever reason, he put the power in the world. The Spirit's Word, the Spirit came, amen, to write those words, they're inspired words, they're holy words, they're God's words. And unless people hear those words, they can't be saved. No wonder Cornelius was informed, remember in Acts chapter 10 about him, he was a devout man, one that lived and prayed to God and helped the needy and so God informed him, we read about it in Acts 11 and verse 14. When he was told, send men to Joppa and fetch one whose name is Simon Peter, and he will come and tell thee words whereby thou must be saved. If God is saved by just a sacrament, the Holy Spirit coming down on him and what that's not the way it happens. People have to hear words. 
Isn't it marvelous then how all the Bible says together and the Lord said go in all the world and tell people that the Holy Spirit's going to come over. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says teach them the gospel. The gospel. The word of God. The good news. That's what the word gospel means. The news. We love to hear good news, don't we? The media today, and always has been, I guess in any generation, is fixated on news, but it's always negative. There'll be 99% of all the news out there, radio, newspaper, television, all everything bad, wars and fightings and murders and theory and, and diseases and bloods and tornadoes, everything. You'll never hear anything hardly good in the news media. That's not news. But in our case, regarding the souls of men, the gospel is good news. That tells me my condition, what a wretched soul that I am without Christ, without believing in Him and obeying Him. That's where I am. And based upon that, I can search, I can learn, I can find. I gotta hear those words, words of truth, soberness. I gotta hear the words, what to do to be saved, and how to live as a Christian. Those are the words you gotta hear. And that will not be if Christ had not died. If he had not died, there would be no good news, no gospel. When I first started preaching around, I never intended to be a preacher when I was growing up. Matter of fact, you told me when, when I was in high school, you're going to be a preacher from the day I was out that year. Not that I was mean, terrible boy. I was a pretty good boy. I didn't get any meanness or nothing like that. I didn't drink and smoke and do nothing, all those kind of things. But I never dreamed about doing that. I couldn't do that. Growing up, I stuttered. I was all over the day. You remember? I'm going to be a public speaker when I stutter. I can't get the word out there. That's about the fellow that went to sell Bibles. And he went to sell Bibles. And they come to give him a job. Because you can't sell Bibles. You can't even talk to people. He stuttered. Well, just give him a chance. And give him a chance. He sold more than any person in the, in the whole company. He said, how did you do that? He said, well, I, uh, I, 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 I don't see. Uh, 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 <laughs> so they they would buy Bible really, really quick. But uh, my life changed. It changed. I thought, I can do this. Or at least I can try. I've been crying now for about 48, 49 years, I guess. And Lord, but they don't like to try. So I can do that. But the gospel, that's all. When I first started filling in around and still at that time never dreamed I'd be doing it full time as you would say, just filling in. And an uncle said, Oh, if if you if the Holy Spirit would come down on you, you you wouldn't have to prepare a lesson, you wouldn't have to study, you wouldn't have to prepare anything. If you had the Holy Spirit, you just did it. A lot of people have that concept that I did. If that's the case, then why did God have 
God didn't help us to read and love His Word and, and absorb that and obey that Word. And yet, that's what my uncle would tell me. He said, you haven't received the call of that. You ain't been called. Well, literally, he knows. I have been called. You've been called. The Lord calls everybody. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14, there it is. That we're all called by the gospel. We're not called by a direct operation of the Holy Spirit in the middle of the night. We're not called full of dreams or premonitions and nudges. We're called the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. God calls all men to say and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. But how does he do that? In the gospel. And that gospel would not be there of no avail if the Lord had not died in Christ. Isn't that marvelous? Aren't we glad that we have the gospel? How many Bibles do you have? Hope you brought your victory tonight. I'm not going to embarrass anybody by asking you to hold your Bible up. I preached one time in the congregation, probably about uh, maybe 200 people or so. I was preaching along and I was younger and not the class, but I am now. I said, How many people here tonight got your Bible? Hold it up. There was three people. Three people held up the Bible. One of them was my wife. Another one was my mother. <laughs> and now I mean, there was so one, one person there. You know, we go to war, and that's why we're at war. Not a war of bullets and, and helicopter rocket ships and, 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 a, and a war with our fists, but we're in a spiritual battle, fighting spiritual wickedness in high places. And sore, the spirit is what we have to put down every and fight every battle. The truth, the gospel, can do that. And so we're called, and almost all that they say is called by the gospel. I didn't understand that. You're only going to have a special operation of the Holy Spirit. And that's how you're called. And if you're not called, then you can't preach. Well, I've been called the scripture of the Bible, the word of God. And without the gospel, that would be a tragedy. If Christ had not died, there would be no blood, forgiving blood, that cleanses us from our sins. And you think in the chapter 1, verse 7, we read, Through we have forgiveness through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins. When Jesus died on the cross, in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, when Paul was with the elders of the church of Ephesus describing to them, he spoke about he purchased that church with his own blood. Going by his death on the cross. We read in Matthew 26 and verse 28. For this is my blood of the New Testament which was shed for you for the remission of sins. The world will know that. The world will understand that. We might ask questions, and I do. In my preaching, in my teaching, and, and in the public, I'm studying with people, we need 
to learn how to ask questions. Questions. What? How? When? If we would learn those words and ask, what is it that causes a person to be lost? The answer? Sin. It's not that you never heard of God. That's not why you're lost. That'll keep you in a lost state. But that's not why you're lost. Well, that's not why you're lost. That's not why you're lost. Now, keep you from being lost. Keeping us in a lost state. But why is a person lost? Because they are sin. All sin. Sin separates from God. Isaiah 59, verse 2. Your sins are separated between you and your God. There are iniquities. Our sin So what is cause of person to be lost? Sin. What is it that takes that sin away? That's very simple. If we imagine this is God and this is a little baby. All of you were little babies. We were born against us. We were with God. But we missed the time when we had enough thoughts and maturity. Uh, we sin. Our sin separates us from God. Imagine there's a line there, the word sin written on it. God didn't move. He moved ourselves to God because of the sin. The only way we're going to be saved is for that sin to be removed. And then that sin removed, we come back. So, why? What is it that causes separation of sin? What is it that takes the sin away? The blood of Christ. Very simple. Things are involved, but that's the very basic. What takes sin away? The blood of Christ. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. And to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. The blood of Christ washes sins away. Well, how does it do that? The question how? There's what? What is the blood? How does he do that? It's washing. Same verse. Revelation 1 verse 5. It washes. And then interesting then, when does the blood of Christ wash sins away? The same time he did Saul of Remember about him in Acts chapter 22, verse 16. When Ananias comes and pointed, word of God, he said, Saul about everything, I was in about time I listened to it. And wash away my sins. Isn't that marvelous how the Bible fits together like that? The blood washed. What washes it? Is it the water? No, it's not the water, it's the blood. But when does the blood wash away? When we're baptized. The same time it was with Saul the Tarsus. When he was baptized and washed away sin. Oh, he was saved from walking in the masses. I've heard Daddy say one night, well, he was saved before he, by the time he got off his horse, before he hit the ground. Well, I wouldn't say anything about riding a horse. But that was their imagination, just like being saved on the spot was their imagination. If he was saved and rolled to Damascus, then he was the most miserable man I've ever known. The Bible says, and you read about his conversion in Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 22 and Acts chapter 26, three different occasions. And we have some details of one that's not sometimes good in the others. And we read all three of those accounts together, and we found that when he was told to go into Damascus, 
The scripture says, there it will be told thee what thou must do. Not what you can do, or maybe what you might do. What you must do. And when you went, the Bible says, we would paraphrase it this way, that he never slept a wink, nor ate a bite, or drink a drop, until he learned the truth and obeyed the gospel. He would not eat, he would not drink, and he didn't sleep for three days. And on the third day, from then I came to it, all in the gospel. And, and I said, okay, you're ready now, so what are you waiting on? Get up from here. Be baptized. Wash that sin away. And then it must be possible that Christ not die. For there would be no forgiveness of sins. Again, in Hebrews 2, verse 9, he tasted of death for every man. Romans 5 and verse 9, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And there's where he sheds blood, that precious blood. And on the Lord's day, the first Sunday, the Lord set up in the morning to remember his suffering and his death. I grew up here, even still occasionally here, when I visit some places, at the Lord's Sabbath on the Sunday morning. And the prayer is prayed that we thank God Lord Jesus Christ, we thank Him for His suffering, His death, and His resurrection. Well, we are thankful for His suffering and death and resurrection, but not in the Lord's Supper. In the Lord's Supper, it's a memorial of His suffering and His death, not His resurrection. We're not minimizing the resurrection, because without that, there would be hope for realization. But that's not part of the Lord's Supper. We need to be careful about that. I remember the first time I heard that, I thought, what? And then I studied it. No, you won't find the resurrection connected with the Lord's Supper. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But it's another big deal. We need to be mindful of And we're mindful of what? The bread brings to our mind and we're caused to be thinking about his father. And the fruit of the bag, we're caused to be thinking about Meditating upon his blood. That's his crucifixion. That's his death on the cross. Yes, he was raised from the dead, but that's not the Lord established in the Lord's Supper as part of the resurrection. He established the bread and the life. But there would be no forgiveness of sins or the cleansing blood of Christ that the Lord had not died on the cross. There'd be no justification. Again, the Calvinist world or denomination world, justification and sanctification are words that they have really latched on to and put some miraculous and some holier spiritual out of those words. And but they're very simple. Justified or justification is simply made just. When you think of just, you think of right. We need to be right with God. When you're a sinner over here, you're not right with God. And you do that which is, will make you right with God. When you're sins are forgiven, then you are just before God. It's called justification. And the word sanctified. And they would use that only in some connection with the Holy Spirit. We have to sanctify. We know that with every Christian. We're all justified. We're all 
sanctified. Sanctified means set apart. We're set apart, but we're reserved. We have a special duty. I have a relationship with God unlike all those in the world. I'm in that family of brethren who have done the same thing I've done to obey the gospel, become a Christian. Yeah, I'm set apart. I'm separate. And we, unless we are separate, then we're not doing our duty as Christians. We're different. The Lord's people are different. The Lord's church is different. It's distinct. It's peculiar. It's not like the rest of the world. It, it is distinct. And when the church loses its distinctiveness, and we're not trying to be different just to be different. That's not the But when we follow the good book, the Bible, the Word of God, we will be different. Because we're following what God says, not what man says. Man can do all kinds of ideas. But we do what God says, we'll be made just in His sight. And we're set apart to do His work like no other on the face of this earth can do. We read when Paul and Barnabas had gone to Antioch on that first missionary journey, one of the places they stopped was the place called Pisidia. And then we read in Acts chapter 13, verse 39, wherein Paul searched for the people by him, speaking about Jesus Christ, all that believed are justified of all things by which the law of Moses could not do. The law of Moses did not justify them. It was only a stopgap measure. It was only there to prepare people and hold them until the Christ should come. That's why today, in the world, so many in the world, so many in America and others, are all up in arms about the Israel war right now. We're going to the threat, and that's terrible. And we diminish that, we mean, but what they're making out of it is say, oh, the Jews are, are God's people. No, they're not. They're not. They were at one time. They were special. They were the Israelites, and the Israelites, two tribes of them, the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, they became known as the Jews. But we all misrepresent when we talk about all the Israelites being Jews. No, they weren't. All the Jews were Israelites, and not all the Israelites were Jews. Remember the slip when they went past, the Northern Pines? They were the Israelites, the Southern Pines. The Jews of Israel, they were the Israelites. But Judah was from the Northern Division, kind of absorbed that, and they became known as Jews. It wasn't until about no captivity that they became known as the Jews. But there's no Jews today, or they can trace their tradition, or ancestry back. But when Jesus died on the cross and made all that known and known, he canceled it all out. You know who the Jews are today? God's people. The Jews were God's people in the old days just by virtue of their physical birth. You were born with Israelite people. You were automatically in Israel. You were automatically a child of God. That's not true today. Today, you become a child of God, yet we're born again. That's true. But we're born again in the gospel of water. Water is about this, not the teaching of the Holy Spirit. And we're born again. And every one of us, as a child of God, is a Jew. Give the scripture on that. Romans chapter 2. Romans 2, verse 28 and 29. There the Bible says, He is not a Jew which is one outwardly, that means in the flesh, 
We're not a Jew because of our flesh, lineage, or We're not Jews, nor are the circumcision of the flesh. That signified that the symbol of a sign that they were God's people, his Israelites, his children. But he says, today in the church, in the world, those who are Jews physically are not Jews anymore, as though they were God's people. But now everyone will make the gospel as a Jew. He is a Jew, which is one inwardly. On the inside, when we obey the gospel, we're not Jews physically, but we're Jews spiritually. Jews only in the sense that we're God's people. All of God's people are Jews. All of God's people are His people, regardless of what they're called. And so, while we sympathize with what's going on over there, and it's a very traumatic situation, and the war is escalating, and things, one thing, God's in they may get into some fights or whatever, but they, they can't bring them into work or something like that. You don't know what's going to happen if we have to come and say that God's in control and take care of it. We won't have to worry about that. Maybe a lot of people be lost in, in their death. But God's in control. That's what's going to be in God. God's going to take care of that. No man knows. No man knows when that's going to be. But here, we read about being justified and sanctified, set apart. God's special people. Without the Lord dying, there'd be no salvation from our sins. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 10, we read that Paul provided to Timothy saying that he had endured all things for the next sake, that people might know the salvation which is in Christ Jesus. Where is salvation? It's in Christ. Is there any salvation outside of Christ? No. No salvation outside. Salvation is only in Christ. That's why the Lord says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come under the law but by me. That's pretty plain, pretty simple. And there's no other name in heaven, no one man, but we can be saved in the name of Jesus. Acts 4 and verse 12. Hebrews 5 and verse 9. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all of them. Obey Him. We've got to obey in order to enjoy spiritual blessings. And that's another thing. Without Christ, there'd be no spiritual blessings. No spiritual We're pretty good, brethren. All my trials of every congregation I've been with, we're pretty good about praying and making God any blessings. <laughs> and all of we're thinking of the material blessings and we are. We're so blessed, like so many more of the people that a lot of people go so hungry. I've never been hungry again. I've never been hunting for, you know, to survive that kind of hunger. But we've been blessed materially, but far more than that, we've been blessed spiritually. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, we learn that God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. And many blessings, spiritual blessings are outside of Christ. None. We got them all in Christ. Ephesians 1 and verse 3. Well, I mentioned a moment ago in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. The man in Christ is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are 
news. Then the last thing I'll mention, and there is really, well, we do a whole series of gospel meetings every night and told these points. I'll mention one more. Without Christ on the cross, we would have no hope of eternal life. No hope of eternal life. Again, we go back to Ephesians 2, verse 12. I mentioned earlier, again, the blessing of those brethren in Ephesus. Paul reminded him that before you became Christians, you were aliens, you were strangers. You were without Christ, you were without God, you have no hope. But we do have hope in Christ Jesus. Hope of eternal life. In John 6, in verse 68, we learn about a conversation here that Jesus had with multitudes. In places he went, he had multitudes following him. And on this occasion, there were many. And he turned away, walked away from Christ. They walked off. They didn't like what he said. I've had people walk away from me, but they didn't like what I said either. I just read the Bible, do it, and spoke the scripture. They didn't like it. They walked away. They didn't work that way. The Lord ran off after me. They said, What are you trying to I didn't mean to offend you. That's not the Lord didn't say that. The Lord didn't do that. We didn't write a book, and we can't change it. We can't walk it down. We, we can't make it where it's not offensive to people. People are offended. I hope they're not offended by me as a person. If they're offended, it better be by the Scripture. They don't want the Bible. They want the Word of God. And on that occasion, they, they were many walked away, and the Lord turned to His disciples and said, Will you also go away? And it was Peter that spoke up and said, there in John 6, verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Only Jesus has the words of eternal life. John 12, verse 25, He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life Do you hate your life? He said, if you hate your life, then you can go to heaven. That means we love the world less than we love heaven. And we love the church. And we love following Christ. The world is, oh no, you got to love yourself. You've got to hear about everything. But the Lord says, when we live here, we live for the Lord. We're here busy. But spiritually, our heart is on the things of Those of you here yesterday in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, we may be in Christ, he's a new creature. And he says, seek those things which are above, not on things of the earth. That's where we set our mind, our affection, our heart. You know, things eternal, things holy, things spiritual. Look what you're doing tonight. You can go to a thousand different places tonight and come here. But you want to come here to support the brethren in this place and to fellowship one with another and to worship God. Your lesson from this word.
And that is an eternal blessing that we may be able to have. In Romans 2, verse 7, to them who by patient continuous life doing seek for glory and honor and immortality eternal life. That's all possible because Jesus died. And had he not died, that would not be. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1, or again the Bible. The earthly house of this tabernacle we resolve. We have a house with God. House not made with hands, eternal in heaven. That's what we're looking for. A house not made with hands, eternal. Never ending, everlasting in that place called heaven. That's the place for which we sigh. We all, oh, we want to live longer. We've got things yet we'd like to do, and, and maybe children or grandchildren we'd like to help and, and teach and all the other people. But our main goal and focus is that we can go and home with God. So that's where we decide we long to be in that place. We pray that place where we can have peace with God. Romans 5, verse 2. Peace with God. We can have peace with God now in this world, but eternal peace in that place beyond this world. And that we hear need to obey the gospel, that we think prepare the way to repent your sins, confess that you Christ and be baptized. We think we can prepare the way and we can do that and sin straight away and live your life again to the Lord and have a fire in your behalf. Think about the word, the powerful word of the God. When Christ did not die, we could be of all men most miserable.